0: Welcome to the Coaching Edge podcast. I'm your host, Wendy McCallum, a seasoned and successful life coach. Every other Monday, I share my hard-earned wisdom from well over a decade of coaching so you can avoid the mistakes I've made. I provide practical and inspiring bite-sized strategies, coach stories, and thought-provoking conversations with industry experts about the business of coaching. If you're craving the freedom and joy that comes from building a profitable and fulfilling coaching practice, you're in the right place. Now let's get down to business. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Coaching Edge. I'm here today with my friend and fellow coach, Emily Lynn Paulson. Hi, Emily. Hi. Good to see you. So good to see you here. Emily's been on Bite Size Balance many times, um, and we have co-coached some programs together. But I wanted to have Emily on this podcast because uh, of her experience as both a coach a successful coach and also as an author. So Emily Lynn Paulson is the author of two books, Highlight Real Recovery, and then her latest book is called Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood and Supremacy and the Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing. It's brilliant. Both her books are so good. Please go read them. Um, and Emily has a big platform now on social media. And I thought that it would just be a really interesting conversation to talk about writing books as a coach and how those two things have sort of, um, been intertwined for you, Emily, in the course of the last, I'd say seven or eight years. I don't know how long you've been been at this. When was the first book published, Emily?
1: Uh, it was published in the fall of 2019. So just a little over four years ago, it was published. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you were writing it obviously well before that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we don't have a lot of time on this podcast.
0: It's very concise and to the point. So there's no time for us to do our usual banter. Um, So I'm going to dive right in. I would love to know um, three things that you wish you'd known about book publishing before you agreed to write a book.
1: So I think it's things that I I wish I knew, but I also think I did fairly well. So um, I wish I had known a little bit more about traditional publishing before I went with hybrid publishing, still glad I went with hybrid publishing. Um, but just educating myself just about the different options there are out there, the differences and the goals. So I think figuring out what you want out of the book is, is the big thing. So if you're like, I want to write a, a book cause I just want my story out there. That was my story. Yeah. Um, then Self publishing's great. Hybrid publishing's great. Um, if you you know want to be in bookstores, you know you have to go with traditional publishing, right? So there's there's a lot of differences there. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess know your goal. What's your goal?
0: Can you uh, just uh, can I just pause you for a second yeah. just to explain? So obviously the reason I wanted to talk about this is because a lot of the coaches that I work with um, and that I know are really you know, they're, they're curious about writing a book and a lot yeah. of people get to like, think, oh, this is going to be, this is like a surefire way to increase my audience and, you know, have more, get more business in my co business with my coaching practice. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know anything about book publishing. Right. So I know very little, just enough to be dangerous, which is why I wanted to have you on here, but can you explain before we keep going the difference between hybrid and conventional and self-published?
1: Yes. So Basically, there's a few ways to do this. A few ways to do this, and there's different reasons to pick each. So, t- self publishing, uh, you can literally write what you want, and then if you wanted to go to Amazon or uh, you know KDP and upload something and like sell it, right? I don't recommend doing that. You know, I, I recommend obviously getting an editor and all that. Um, self publishing is just doing it yourself. You don't get paid in advance. You pay for everything. Um, mm-hmm. It's all, it's your material and it's your cost, right? But then in the back end, uh, past printing costs, you get paid, right? Uh, sev- self-publishing, you're not going to be, you don't need an agent or anything like that. You're not going to be in bookstores. Uh, you're going to have a very limited, uh, you know, broad, like not a very broad like market, right? But good choice. If, again, if you are a coach and or, or uh, you know, you're selling a program and you want a workbook along with it, it's a great thing to do, you know, self-publish. So, you know, it's for a specific reason. Hybrid publishing is kind of in between. Hybrid publishing, you pay for certain things. Um, depending on the publishing company, uh, this can be anywhere from twenty dollars to $100,000. And when I say that publishing is expensive, no matter what you do, um, it's true. So that was probably number two thing I wish I'd known is that you, you need. You need money. You need resources to publish a book. Uh, and you need a lot of time. So hybrid publishing, basically, companies will essentially help you do the things you would need to do to self-publish. They don't pay you in advance. Uh, and they do take a cut of the sales at the end. It's not as much as traditional publishing does. So you get paid more on the back end. But again, you're not going to be in bookstores. Your uh, your reach is not going to be as far. Okay. Um, but again, you're you're spending quite a lot of money to do that um for the services, but then you're getting paid on the back end. Traditional publishing is you have a body of work, you have your book, you have your workbook, your whatever, you sell it to a publisher. So you sell your information you know, this this thing you've written to the publisher, they pay you for it. That's called an advance. Mm-hmm. Oh, and advances can range, they can be from zero dollars to some people make millions of dollars on their advance. Uh, and then they sell it. They distribute it. They do everything. You just write it. Right. And, and when I say just write it, that's also very difficult, but, but just just go with me here. They distribute it. It has a much larger breadth where they can go bookstores everywhere, sometimes internationally. They deal with all the rights. And then you get, once once the book earns over your advance, so once the book earns past publishing costs, the $10,000 million, dollars, whatever you got, then you get royalties. And generally it's about 10% of the sales. So those are the three really different uh, ways to publish. Um, I would say, you know, it really depends on what platform you have. It depends what your goals are, um, which, which way you go. So. Yeah, that helps. Yeah.
0: So in the pit and then there are upsides and downsides to each as you've described. Okay. Thank yep. you. Sorry to take you on a sidetrack. No, it's
1: fine. And I've done. I will say I've done both. Again, my first book was was hybrid publishing. My second book was traditionally published. So I've gone through the process of both. Right.
0: And so, in the hybrid publishing model, are you paying for your own costs in terms of book tours and that kind of marketing stuff? And sure, then book
1: tours are are something the author always pays for. This is kind of a misplay. Interesting. Like, think, yeah. yeah. Some, um, some publishers will subsidize it or give a little bit of money if there's a big, um, draw or if bookstores ask for you, but, but, but book tours are paid for by the author and book tours don't really sell a lot of books. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. a, that's Like I think misconception, it really is just, if you want to connect with your audience, if you want to talk about it, if you want to kind of have something that you share on social media that, uh, to to promote it. I think they could be great um but they're not they're not really a sales tool. And and the publisher does not pay for them. What hybrid publishing does is say, okay, it costs us this much to do this. You know, we'll do this much, you do this much um and you're just paying for the services and then on the back end you get the royalties. Right, um, right. Yeah. And it's going to be different for different companies. So so one thing I think to caveat here is there are companies out there who will say pay me this for your essay, mm-hmm. pay me this, and we'll put it in this book we're already doing. And, and then you're like, cool, I'll be a published author. Mm-hmm. Be wary of that. And, and I've been involved in some of these. Um, it, it's really just a way to sell someone else's books. So I would say never sign anything that doesn't give you any royalties at the end that you're paying for. Mm-hmm. Um, just for publicity or right. just for what you think it'll like, like steer clear of those is is what I've learned.
0: Yeah. Those are happening a lot for the coach for the, in the coaching world. So I'm hearing a lot from my coaches that they're being approached by people to contribute chapters or essays for books. And so um, not to paint everyone with the same brush here, there probably are um, some of these that are, you know, great and above board and make total sense, but you do need to make sure that you're doing your research and you're really Um, doing some due diligence around them because um, sometimes it's just a way for someone else to make money. Um, Okay. So the two things so far you've identified one that you knew more about traditional publishing before you went the other route of hybrid. And secondly, that publishing is expensive no matter what. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, even I I would say traditional publishing, you can, uh, I mean, here's the thing is you have to have time to write. Mm-hmm. so if you have a day job if you have the the advance is meant to pay you so you have time to write the book yeah. um and this is i'm speaking specifically for non-fiction because for nonfiction, you write a proposal yeah. uh for what you're going to write and then they buy that and then you write the book right um but you know a lot of times people want to hire editors um that are not in the publishing company so that their their first draft is really good um mm-hmm. uh, People, even though publishing companies do have publicity, sometimes authors want to hire outside publicity. Again, if you want to do a book tour, you're paying for that yourself. So uh, traditional publishing, publishing, in theory, you need less of your own capital, but in order to do traditional publishing, you need more of a platform, which probably required capital upfront to
0: begin with. So, you know, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. What's the third thing?
1: Um, the third thing is, uh, I think having a goal in mind, um, you know, which I guess, you know, is the first thing, knowing what you want out of it and what you need to know to be a published author. So my, you know, my writing the first book kind of came, I kind of did it backwards a little bit in the sense that I was writing. I've always loved writing. I've always been a person who's written things. I've never been a published writer. Um, but I, I, I had this body of work that I'd written through my recovery process and I wanted it to be out there because recovery memoirs had been so helpful for me. It was just something I wanted to be out there. I didn't have any uh, aspirational goals of it being in bookstores. I just wanted it published. So I went the traditional publish or the uh, hybrid publishing route, but through that process of writing, I wanted to be more Educated, just to not just for my own personal experience. I wanted to have some credentials behind it, so that's essentially why then I went through coaching. I went through the coaching programs to be more knowledgeable, have mm-hmm. uh, something beside my name that wasn't just you know girl who got sober, right? And it was through that process that uh, made me realize that you know I I liked coaching. I liked working with other women, and so then when the book came out, uh, you know I kind of thought, well, this will be a good way to kind of help launch my my, my coaching, right. And then COVID happened. And so kind of everything kind of went haywire after that. But, um, I would say, you know, have a goal in mind, but also ask yourself if there's anything that you need credentialing or, uh, just more information. Um, memoirs are great. Personal experiences great, but is there something maybe you can add to it so that when it does come out, it kind of gets you further to that goal yeah. you want. Yeah.
0: And I think it's probably worth saying, um, uh, you can disagree with me on this, but my own personal experience with this being in someone who is shifted from nonfiction to fiction in terms of my writing is that nonfiction is well, they're both it's hard to get published conventionally, no matter what you're writing. But nonfiction is a really tricky world to break into. And you really need to have, especially if you're writing about something that's been written about a lot before, you kind of need to have like a really exciting, you know, um, unexpected story. Uh, in or, or be, you know, I guess just an incredibly talented writer to get someone to consider giving you an advance for a nonfiction book. And so I just, I just want to put that out there. Emily is incredibly talented. Her second book, Hey Hun is brilliant. Um, so of course she got it published, but I just want to be really clear. It's not as easy as everyone makes it sound. It's actually really, really challenging. And so I, I, I just want people to go in with their, you know, not, not with the blinders on, on it.
1: Right. And had I not had a published work already out there, um, and had a, had a platform, had a lot written out there byline essays, mm-hmm. um, behind me, I, I wouldn't have sold the second book. And yeah. so I think that's important to know too, is that you know if you do want to be a writer if you mm-hmm. want to be a person who writes multiple books mm-hmm. then doing hybrid self-publishing the first time around to kind of get get your feet wet mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a bad thing it doesn't mean you can't then traditionally publish something else later
0: yeah really great point point. and also i think you can be a writer without being published and it's important to say that so some people their goal is simply to write because they have ab- they just absolutely love the experience of her. I love to write. I find it really cathartic. I find it really fun. I yeah. it's a joyful thing for me. Um, it would be a cherry on the cake, I guess, if anything I wrote ever got published, but, um, everybody has different goals. And so I think that's a really important point. You need to know what is your goal with this thing that you're thinking about writing. Um, so we've kind of talked about a couple of the ways publishing can help you build a coaching practice in an audience, I guess. Is there anything more you want to add to that point?
1: Um. Sincerely, I would say, uh, yeah, you don't necessarily have to have a niche. I mean, having, having an audience for, for any reason is good. I will say my, my audience before my first book was published was very much a different audience. It was like an MLM audience, you know? Um, so, you know, unfortunately numbers are important. Publishers do look at that. So yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. I'm not a social media person. Uh, so, so that would be a different episode. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think especially for the nonfiction stuff. I know I was just on a call with an agent. You and I are both in a program called The Novelry because we're both writing fiction right now. And I was on a call with an agent, not me by myself. I was on with a group of people listening to an agent talk. And she was saying um, that when it comes to fiction, she thinks it's less important, the platform. And that if you have a really great story and you're a good writer, then it's it's less of a prerequisite. But definitely when I was working on the nonfiction piece last year, a big piece of it was how big's your audience? Um, yeah.
1: Well, and you think about like any celebrity who publishes a memoir, mm-hmm. if they sell millions of copies, even if they're a terrible writer, or the ghostwriter's terrible right. or the story's not good. It right. really is all about platform. And you're right, fiction is all about the story for the most yeah. part. I mean, some bestsellers are made. There's a whole thing about I like could tangent i can go on about that, but yeah, it's a different, different business.
0: What do you think about like when is the right time to start thinking about publishing a book, even writing a book, I guess. This is a conversation we have a lot in my writing groups, this idea of like, and you and I have talked about this in a different context. I think the idea for me, it's like, are you writing from an open wound or are you writing from something that's a scar? Like, I think you're, the way that you write about things, and there can be some really great writing that comes from writing from the wound, but when it comes to being ready to actually take this thing out there and potentially get it published, especially if it's your story and it's really personal to you, you have any thoughts around timing with that? I mean, highlight real recovery is such a great example of that because there's a lot of stuff in that book that's very deeply personal for you and quite vulnerable. You share really, really honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your what did you learn through that whole process about timing and when to share?
1: So I think if you wait till you feel one hundred percent ready, you'll never do it. Yeah, but if you are still processing things um I would say, give yourself more time. <laughs> you know, It's one thing to, you really feel naked when you put a book out there, no matter what, because it's like, you put your thoughts and feelings in your work and you know, this is something that's very personal, but I think it, it hits different if it's things you are still dealing with, like don't write about your relationship in the middle of a divorce. Uh, don't write about, um, you know, an illness when you're necessarily in, or, you know, write about it, but don't publish it until you're through it. So I think do the writing, you mm-hmm. can do the writing when you're in the middle of things but do the editing and publishing when when you're through it.
0: Yeah, I think that's really great advice. What about finding an agent? I know this is a real challenge for most mm-hmm. writers and um I don't think I was really of uh, as I don't think I was aware of how hard it is to actually get an agent to even open up the thing you send them and read it. Yep. Yeah. So you have any tips on that? Yeah.
1: I mean, agents are so they get so many emails. So the first thing I would say is please don't um bother every author you know about who their agent is. Like it's it's a it's a really that's a really annoying. If you know a writer personally, um, you know, like Wendy, if you know, you publish your fiction book and and I say to you, and you, you know, we trust each other. We know each other's writing. And I said, Hey, do you, would you ever do an intro with your, uh, your agent? Yeah, sure. Let me read what you have. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. That those relationships are great and utilize those. Mm-hmm. So ask yourself, who is in your circle, who you know well, not just who you're an Instagram friend with or whatever. Um, you know, make use of those connections. Okay, mm-hmm. so that that's where I'd start. Then I would go to books that are like the ones you're writing or authors who are like you. Um, and then see who represents them, read about them, and then you can query them. You can also look at Publishers Marketplace, which is a whole database of who represents everybody. Um, there's a site called Manuscript Wishlist. Uh, I think it's just, I, I don't know, Manuscript Wishlist, just Google it. Uh, but you can see there are certain things that some agents are specifically looking for. Uh, look if that, you know, if, if your book fits any of those things. Um, but then when when you are querying, so basically you find an agent, you query them, uh, and look at their query requirements on their website. They will all have them, um, just, just follow the instructions. Don't just do a cold reach out. Don't tag them on social media. Like, don't, don't, don't do that. Like have manners and, um, do it, do it the right way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's really, really important. Um, and you know, the other thing that I've learned is that uh, both agents and I guess publishers, like they have their, they have their wish list. They have the things that they, the pro- types of projects that they want to be working on, but they also oftentimes just because they want to be working on that type of project, even if your project's fantastic, if they're already working with an author, who's written a project just like that, then they're not going to take on another author, um, probably who's, who would be potentially in competition with that other author. So it gets really, really tricky. And I think that the thing that I've, um, I've learned by listening. I, by the way, I have not had the courage to do any of this yet. So I am speaking from like, as someone who's done none of this, Emily has done all this stuff, but what I learned from listening to other authors talk about this process is that you really just have to, you know, steal yourself for it and, and know that you're going to send out emails all over the place, follow the rules. And you probably won't hear back from the majority of them. Um, And most of the things, you hear back from will be rejections but that's part of this process and it's not always a personal reflection
1: on your writing in fact a lot of the time it's not at all it's not Uh, and I will say I sent I I kind of lost count after 80 I sent 80 queries to agents for for hey I heard back from probably a dozen um I had calls with two of them and I had one who was really interested, but had taken on too many projects at that point And she didn't have time for another agent. We're still, or another uh, work. Uh, and we're still connected. Like I sent her the book. We're like, you know, so like I built a really good relationship with that agent who is not my agent. And mm-hmm. these two others who I talked to didn't end up taking me on because we just didn't, they weren't the right people for the project. And so from those 80, you know, I got an agent. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so- yeah. yeah, it's really it's really interesting. And for me, and we were talking about like, do you have a good friend who's a writer who actually you trust and they trust you you your writing? And if you have that, then by all means work that. Um, and I've kind of gone that route with a piece of not like with a nonfiction project and spoken to an agent who actually did read that. And I feel very grateful that they read it and that I got some really constructive feedback on it. But that has led to, you know, I think that the situation is such that I could reach out to that person again, if I actually did create something that might be the right fit for them down the line. Um, so I think it's just really important to be managing the relationships, always showing up in a really professional way, following the rules. I think those are all really good, <laughs> good wow. um, tips. And then, um, but also uh, put your hard hat on because it's probably going to get bumpy. <laughs> um, how about... This piece. So you have this whole history of being all over the place in the media. You have been everywhere. I have watched you grow over the last year and your audience grow over the last five years or so. And it's just been tremendous to watch that. It's so cool what you've been able to do. How do you use your personal story? So first it was your story of recovery in highlight reel in, in the highlight reel um, recovery book. Um, and then now the story of your experience in an MLM. Um, how do you use that to build your to to build your platform? So you know, you could ha- we talked about the need of having a platform. And how helpful that is before you publish. But what about after you publish? How do you then use your book in a way or in your story? Maybe not even your book, but your story?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will say that I think this is going to be personal. And again, I'm not a social media maven. Um, and I'm also not the best at this. I, I, for as, um, vulnerable and like transparent about, I, uh, that I am about in certain things, I keep my private life, you know, very private. And I don't, I don't feel the need to create necessarily for other people. I think this has changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that that's a hard one for me to answer. I think you've got to ask how it lands with you. And for me, you know, being in stories all day, like sharing my family, that didn't land with me. That felt icky to me. Right. Um, sharing sharing other people's work is meaningful to me. That 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 moves me. Mm-hmm. Um, sharing the things that I'm doing, and also sharing without thinking about the outcome. And I know that's like the opposite of what you would think. It's like, oh, I need to use these hashtags. I need to do, I feel like the more calculated I've been with social media, the more frustrated I am. And so I really just use it as I want it because I I don't want to be tied to any specific outcome, I guess. And that's a very non-answer answer, but I also am not, I'm just not that person who wants to be on social media all the time.
0: Yeah, I actually think it's a really honest answer. And I think it's really valuable to be honest in that uh, that's been my experience too. So sharing bits of my story has always been quite helpful to me when I've just been doing it because I actually want to share that bit of my story because I think it might help somebody else, make someone else feel like they're less alone. But trying to, to create content with a specific objective in mind at the end of it hardly ever works. So I appreciate I appreciate the honesty with which you answered that question. And um, you would not know from looking at Emily's uh, Instagram followings, for example, uh, that she is not a maven at this stuff, but I know her personally, and I know that it's not what she likes to do. And I think actually most of us don't like to do it. I think most people, it's certainly more and more people that I'm meeting and the coaches that I work with do not do not love social media and they're just, they, so they'll be happy to hear what you just said, which is show up in a way that feels good to you and only share when it feels like it's going to be helpful to someone else and you're going to be good with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it can change too. You know, during, during COVID I was home and I like, I really liked making goofy videos with like music and reels and all that stuff. Like that was fun for me but my, but, but that changed that all of a sudden became less important when I was like out in real life again. So don't feel like you have to show up as the same person you should evolve. You should change your goals and objective objectives should change. Um, so, so don't feel like you have to do the same thing all the time either, or you have to do what someone else is doing. Mm
0: -hmm. So if you had to go back and do it all again with both of these books, would you change anything about how you went through it? Is there no other, are there things that you wish you had done differently or do you feel good about it?
1: You know, I, I, I don't, I can't say that I would go back and change anything. I, I feel great about how things are. And also I think because, you know, my book came out right before COVID, it was a really interesting time in the sense that, I was on the desks of people who were looking at these new alcohol statistics with this book. And so I like, I was all of a sudden reached out to as, as an expert, right. right? And that led to creating sober mom squad and all these things and being on all these platforms, that was never something I intended. It was just the way things worked out. So I would say, because I wrote what I wanted when I wanted to, and it was out there, then that, that was able to happen, you know, and, and that, in a way it was kind of just dumb luck, but also you never know what opportunities are going to come out of it. Just make sure it's something you really want out there and make sure, you know, you know, how much work it actually is to write a book. Like I, I, I kind of giggle when people are like, Oh, I've never had the time to write a book. I'm like, okay. You know, it's not, time's not what I have either, but you have to want to write. You really have to want it.
0: Yeah. You have to like it. Don't do this if you don't enjoy it. It's just, mm-hmm. there's the payoff is not worth it no. at the end of it all. It's definitely not worth it. Um, yeah. yeah, I love that. I think that's really great advice too. Well, thank you, Emily. Well, thank you course. for coming on and sharing your experience as a published author and as a coach. Um, Emily is the founder of Sober Mum Squad. You can go check out that program. I could have her back sometime to talk about membership programs because she has figured those out. Um, but for now, that is it for my conversation with Emily Lynn Paulson. See you soon. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode. I hope you're coming away with renewed energy and some creative inspiration for your coaching business. If you're looking for more business support and community with like-minded coaches, please follow me on Instagram at Wendy McCallum coach and check out my popular BBB membership for coaches at wendymcallum.com forward slash BBB. And if you love what you heard today, please leave a rating and a review to let other coaches know that this is a podcast worth listening to. Thanks in advance. I really appreciate you and I'll see you next time.